this song and the words of this song from our heart, I believe God will honor that. Amen. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 80, verse 18, Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Psalm 80, 18. Revive us again. We'll sing all four verses. 434. Just hang on a minute, uh, Joanne. I didn't tell them the numbers, so give, give them time to get there. 434. That's the first mistake I ever made. Can y'all believe that? <laughs> Verse 1, here we go. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. And that'd be our prayer tonight. Revive us again. Hymn number 353, 353, Victory in Jesus, 353, God giveth us the victory, that's where it comes from, folks, through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Victory in Jesus, now don't forget about the uh, soul and uh, praise God, okay, y'all know where that goes. And those of you that are new and don't know that, just follow right along with us. We'll show you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior. 
I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see and then I cried dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory amen oh victory in Jesus my Savior forever he sought me and bought me soul with his redeeming blood praise God he loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him he plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory and I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea about the angels singing and the old redemption story and some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory oh victory and Jesus my Savior forever sought me and bought me so with his redeeming blood praise God he loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him he plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood and all the people said amen you may be seated thank you and now, Pastor's going to come up one more time, maybe. No? All right. All right. Yeah, Mr. Teddy, you want to come on up here? You got your microphone ready? I think. He's right there. All right, it's ready. We got a red one for you, and it's ready to go. All right. You just sit there right here in the yellow.
brings a smile to his saddened face. So I just go to him anytime I'm in trouble. Wash my heart in the waters of my Savior's grace. That'll work. I'm going to leave this one here for JL. Well, y'all give it up for Teddy again. He did a great job, didn't he? Well, if we can learn anything tonight, you can learn a couple of things. One, God wants to use you. God uses the simple truth of prayer and that we can pray our way out of trouble. And praise the Lord. So thank you, Teddy. I appreciate that. Uh, well, tonight, it's my, pri uh, my privilege to get to uh, have Pastor Daniel Custer all the way from Danville and or Chatham, if you don't want to be associated with Danville, I understand, uh, <laughs> to come and preach for us. Uh, I met Daniel, I would say by accident, but it was the Lord's, uh, the, the Lord's doing. Uh, Kim and I moved to Danville in February of 2019, and we were getting ready to walk into Walmart, and we looked at each other, and y'all know how Walmart is. And we said to ourselves, this is the first time we're going to walk in and not know a single soul in Walmart. Nobody's going to walk up to us and know who we are. This is going to be great. Greatest Walmart trip ever. We're walking up that first aisle, and I saw this guy walk by me. I didn't think nothing of him except, hey, I don't know who he is, and he don't know who I am. That's great. Look at that. There's another one. Don't know me. I don't know him. Well, then all of a sudden, one of those guys turns around and taps me on the shoulder, and, and everything I'd heard about Danville, I'm going, oh, okay, here's that first mug, and it's coming. And then I turn around, and I didn't see nobody there, and there was Daniel. I'm just kidding. There was Daniel. He's a little bit shorter than me, but he, he walked right up to me, and he said, first words, looked at me, he goes, are you the new pastor at Temple Baptist Church? And I went, 
but may, uh, sure, maybe. It, it depends on who's asking, right? Uh, but basically what had happened is someone through Facebook had saw the announcement that I was going to be there, the new pastor in, in the town, and, and uh, you know how Facebook works, it don't take long, and, and uh, he gets my picture, and I got one of those faces that's either hard to forget or easy to remember. And, uh, but anyways, since that day, we became good friends, and uh, Pastor Daniel is a wonderful man of God, loves his family, loves the Lord, loves his people, and one of the most humble guys I know. I've learned a lot from him, from his experiences, and one day when I grow up, I want to love the people of God like Pastor Daniel does. So, Pastor Daniel, you come, you preach for us, brother. Y'all make him welcome. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, it is truly my honor to be here today. And uh, I told Pastor Joe as I walked up, um, we actually come to see him when the Lord brought him here in July of 21. And we come to see him that fall. Me and my associate, my youth pastor, come in to hang out with him. We, we used to do Bible studies. And uh, we come up one, one October, I think, and met Pastor Joe and uh, his sweet secretary. And we viewed the church then, and I told Joe, I'm going to get a nosebleed if you ever ask me to preach from this pulpit. Because ours is only like two steps up, and that's it. And uh, let me tell you, um, it's funny. Uh, it wasn't luck and it wasn't chance. We have a divine, sovereign God who aligns everything up. And funny story, I hate Walmart. <laughs> okay, I do. I do not like it at all. But my son was running cross country, and uh, the coach had wanted them to get a certain kind of running shoe that year, actually spikes. And spikes are very lightweight, and they have absolutely no arch support. Well, me and him and my dad, our arches are so high you could drive a Hot Wheels car underneath them. Um, and so I went to get him some arch supports, and I was pushed for time. I had to get them from school. They go to Westover. Well, they, he, he graduated, but they went to Westover Christian Academy. And I, I go past Pastor Joe, and uh, my associate had sent me the picture, and I was pretty sure that that was him. Because I remember the Christmas card, I think, is what they used to announce him at church, at, uh, at, at Temple. And I remember kind of kind of pretty good-sized fellow, red plaid shirt, bushy beard, and a really pretty wife. And I go by and I'm like, man, what are the chances that this is not that guy? But you know, how, you know how the human mind works? If I go up and I introduce myself and call this dude the new pastor, and that's not him, I'm really going to feel stupid. And uh, honestly, I went, I grabbed a pair of Dr. Scholl's uh, athletic supports. I was making a beeline to the self-checkout. I walked by the aisle, I glance and see him again, and I didn't stop. I wanted to go through the checkout, get the insoles, get them to school, and honestly, I started feeling under conviction. And uh, I knew, I said, man, I, don't, I, mean, I mean, they're not going to kick them out of the Christian school parking lot, at least I hope not. And uh, so I went back and I just thought, and this is what the Lord kind of laid on my heart. If you were new to your area, wouldn't you want somebody to kind of take you in and be a friend to you? Absolutely, I would. And uh, so the Lord kind of put us together that day. And, and it's been a blessing, I tell you. I look back and I think maybe at that time Pastor Joe needed a friend. Well, since then, I think I've been the one that needed a friend. And I certainly appreciate that. appreciate Brother Joe and Sister Cammie. I appreciate all your hospitality. Uh, we came up last yesterday evening, and uh, I just, I'm just a country boy at heart. 
my, I, we, I pastor the church there in Danville. If you've ever been to Sam's Club in Danville, you can literally just stand in our park a lot and know where to look. You can see the, the top of our church. And, uh, but uh, uh, we're, we're country folk. We live in a little area called Dry Fort, Virginia. His address is actually Chatham. And uh, so I don't identify really so much with Danville. But coming up here is kind of like home, uh, although we don't have the pretty mountains and views that y'all have. Well, I, we came up a day early because I, I wanted to come to church this morning. I did. I wanted to come to church. I wanted to meet some of you. I wanted to get a feel for the atmosphere, and I was very impressed. Two things that made me feel right at home. Um, I'll start with the second thing first. Everybody was friendly. That's one thing I, I, I want to encourage our church there at Riverview Baptist to be, is a friendly, a loving church. And I tell everybody, we are a country church stuck in the heart of the city. And uh, that's what we are. But the, the first thing that made me feel at home, I saw Mr. Teddy's coat this morning is a Chase Elliott jacket. And I said, that's my guy right there, man. That's my guy. I had no idea, though, he was a total package that he knew who to pull for in racing. And that dude is so talented singing, too. And so, Teddy, I thoroughly enjoyed that, buddy. I appreciate that with all my heart. I do. I, I appreciate it. And... Uh, I've got, a, I've got a little fellow in our church, too, and every, every Sunday he has show and tell. And he's an older gentleman, but he always brings me something, a new uh, baseball or football magazine. I think, I think when I saw him Friday night, he had a new book about Elvis. So he shows me something every week, so I, I enjoy that. But I enjoy your hospitality. Thank you for putting us up in, in a nice quality hotel, too, man. The Hampton Inn, we enjoyed that, enjoyed being with you this morning. Great spirit this morning. Amen. You could just feel the Lord's presence. And um, it was good, but when Miss Cammie testified, it got even gooder. Amen. And I uh, really, really just enjoyed being here. If you got your Bibles tonight, if you would, let's open up to two different passages. I'm going to treat this exactly the way I treat uh, church back home. Uh, I usually give a little starting passage, and then we'll go somewhere else. And so we're going to start off, if you would, in Re uh, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, this evening, for Revelation chapter number 3, and find your place there, and that's where we're going to start off, but we're going to end up in John chapter number 6. I was honored when Pastor Joe asked me to come and help preach a night of revival, and uh, I was really honored at that, uh, as me and him talked before. A lot of times, people don't call pastors for revival, you call evangelists. Well, that's good. God's got that. God's got a purpose and a place for everything. Amen? And, uh, but I do appreciate the opportunity. I'm not an evangelist. Y'all can tell that right offhand. I'm just a pastor. I love people. I do. I love people. And uh, our church uh, there at Riverview had gone through a very difficult period of time when the Lord led me there. And uh, honestly, our church was... Uh, the church I left, I taught this adult Sunday school class. And uh, the Lord put me at Riverview. And uh, I, was, I had a, a Sunday school class of 60 people. And I went to take a church that only ran 30 or less. But God was in it, and God has tremendously, tremendously blessed it. He has been so faithful in everything. And let me tell you this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just saying this because he's here. Y'all have a wonderful pastor. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful pastor. And his wife is second to none. Amen. And I appreciate them. Uh, he's got a heart for people, and, uh, and he loves you. I know that. I knew, I knew of some of you before I even met you. Amen? I, I do. I, I'd heard a lot about Brother Tony Hicks before I even met him. Of course, 
It doesn't help that I got a, I got a guy back home, a friend of mine named Tony Hicks. So, but I've heard a lot of good things. And, and brother, if, if it won't so far to drive, I might steal JL from you. Because our, our people have to listen to me uh, learn the songs. And I tell you, I'm slightly dyslexic. Uh, you know, and you know, as, you, as you're dyslexic, you get ahead of yourself. You can't you gotta make yourself slow down. And so many times when I'm leading music, I'm singing one verse and I'm subconsciously reading the next verse. And our church just gets tickled and they laugh at me because I'm singing the wrong verse. Well, I outdone that a few weeks ago. I flipped over after uh, we sang a couple verses on one song. We stood and greeted everybody, made everybody feel welcome. We come back, I started singing the wrong page altogether. And so if it could mess up, buddy, I can do it. But that's okay. I'm comfortable in my skin. I'm who God made me. Amen. I tell everybody, my mind sometimes is like a ping pong ball in an empty warehouse. It's liable to go anywhere at any given second. But I tell you what, God's going to meet with us tonight. Revelation Chapter number uh, two, if you, uh, excuse me, chapter number three, if you're, no, let's go to chapter two. I wrote the wrong passage down on my notes here. Revelation chapter two, I know where it is, I just wrote it down wrong. And I tell you what, if you wouldn't like to stand and stretch your legs, I'm not going to be real long-winded, but we'll go as long as the Lord tells us to go this evening. Revelation chapter number two, let's starting in verse one. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these sayings, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, of course, we know the angels, the, the, the pastor of the church, where the letter was sent. Uh, we know he that holds the seven stars. We know that that is Jesus. He's in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's the churches. So he's writing these letters to the seven churches there in, uh, in Asia. And each church gets a letter. And he tells this church, this first church in Ephesus, Verse 2, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which they say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Thou hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. But nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Father, I thank you for the good church service this morning. Lord, I thank you that your presence was there. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, the Holy Spirit would take control tonight. Lord, uh, touch my mind, touch my mouth. Help me say only that which is pleasing to you and glorifying to you. Lord, drive out the devil, drive out the demons, drive out the distractions, and Lord, even take away Daniel and anything that would hold up or hinder your word. And Father, bless this word. Lord, I know it's the message for the hour. Father, I pray that you would illuminate through your spirit and to those who need it. And Lord, for those who may not even need it, get still, get something from it. And Lord, send us revival. We ask and pray in the name of Jesus and all of God's people. See him. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. You may be seated. Now, I say that all the time, morning, and here it is, 7.30 at night. Don't feel bad I do it at home any either. I say I'm either 12 hours early, I'm 12 hours late, either one. So, um, revival. The topic of revival 
since the Asbury revival's kind of been on the hot the hot button uh, topic, the hot topic. What is revival? Well, can I help you? I don't really understand how God works. You know, he said the Bible says His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But uh, revival, I, um, I, I, I got a lesson from a wood stove this, this, this winter. I built a shop back in 2020 because, you know, we couldn't do anything else, right? And uh, so I built me a shop. I love tinkering on cars. And uh, I decided that uh, I won't go put no central heat or air in it, but I was just going to heat it in, in the old-fashioned way. And I had a buddy at church give me a wood stove. And uh, little did I know, burning wood is an art. You got to learn how to do that. I mean, it just ain't going to come natural. I mean, you can't just throw a huge log in there and expect in five seconds for it to be flaming. No, you got to kind of to, to, to get it going and to get it at a certain temperature. Now, once you get it hot enough, you can burn anything. But I learned, and I had a buddy at church tell me, to, actually the fellow that gave me the stove, he said, what you do is you get it hot. Don't throw too much in there at one time. Just get it hot. Get, it, get, it, get the flame up and get it hot. And feed it slowly. He said, then when you get it up to a certain temperature and all that wood starts falling apart and you get them glowing embers, he said, that's when it's ripe. That's when it's putting off the heat. That's when you can put some of this, we cut down a, church, a tree at church, some old red oak. And you know, it takes about over two years for a good red oak to dry good. He said, and it's only been cut down for a year. He said, you let, that, you let them coals get good and hot. He said, you can throw a piece of that old red oak in there and it's going to burn. And I got to thinking one day as I held, I held those, those, open, those stove doors open, I remember seeing all those, those glowing embers. Well, uh, I got an old, it's an old, old wood stove, old Virginian wood stove. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Made in Rocky Mount, Virginia. It's got the old cast iron doors. When I, when I opened those old doors, one day I had a little piece of wood fall out. And when it fell out, it was glowing red. And I was in a hurry to get it back in because I got a little, I got a little, actually a little mat there in front of the stove. So when I drop ashes out, I don't have to clean it up all the time. Well, dropping a red hot piece of wood, uh, ember on, on a, on a uh, cloth mat ain't going to do it much good. But I watched it for a second before I could get my little shovel and scoop it up. It instantly went from a glowing red hot to instantly had cooled down and had that ash look. But I got it, threw it back in there with the other embers, and guess what? It came back to life really quick. To me, that explained what revival is. Revival was once something was on fire and the fire has went out. But when it got in with them other glowing embers, it got red hot again. Amen? And I got to thinking about this. The Lord woke me up the other night. He said, revival is for those who are alive, not for those who are dead. I began thinking about that. Revival is for the church. Revival is for believers. Why? Because you've been born again. You've had life. Amen? In John chapter 3, we'll make it to John 6 here in a minute. But John chapter number 3, you know the famous passage. Jesus tells Nicodemus what? You must be born again. Again, now I don't have the time tonight. Maybe some other time, if, if the Lord ever allows and Joe ever invites me back and I don't make a mess of things, the Lord showed me really what being born again truly meant a few years ago. And it changed my life. It changed my ministry. I, being a mechanic, I like to know how things work. 
And we all think we know what it means to be born again. Oh, it's deeper than what we can even wrap our minds around. Amen. By the way, in the Garden of Eden, he said, in the day you should eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you do, you will surely die. We thought that was the curse of sin. The, uh, because of the curse of sin, death was passed on to humanity. Something actually died that day. But that's a different message for a different time. But to be born again. So believers are born again. You've had life. You've got the Spirit of God inside of you. It's that glowing ember. That it's that fire. It's that flame. It's that all-consuming Holy Spirit of God. But we get bogged down. We get tied up into the cares of the world. And if we're not careful, our fire will grow dim. Now for those who don't know Jesus Christ, they can't have revival. Why? Because they're dead. And Ephesians tells us that ye who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you need uh, the, the lost person needs life to begin with. Amen. It needs life. But this so revival, I believe, is for believers. It's for the church. And if the church catches fire, the whole community then will see the flames, and the whole community will feel the warmth, and the whole community will feel the love. And they will see Christ who is the flame. Amen? But I began thinking of you have left your first love. I began thinking, you know, the love. Now, we could, I've preached messages on love, especially around Valentine's Day, right? You know, the Bible tells us, I believe it's four different definitions of biblical love. And I won't get into that because I'll get excited and go off in a different directions. But love. And I think about love, and Pastor Joe mentioned it this morning, the book of James. I love the book of James, and I really feel like the Lord's leading me to preach through that whole book on a Sunday morning. So we'll be doing that some, sometime this spring. But I began thinking of, as he, as he quoted one verse in James, I thought about another one. It says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word fervent is the same word we get our English word fever from. Because when you're sick, you run a fever. Your body temperature is running hotter than 98.7. And that's the word. But I thought about the word fever and fervent. I began thinking of passion, of passionate. And as I began, you know, kind of meditating on this the last couple of days, and I began thinking, he says, you've left your first love. You've left your first passion. And you go back and you think about, uh, when you first met your spouse. Okay, now some of us in here has been married a little while. Hard to believe. I've been married, this, this August, I will be, we have been married 25 years. Amen. You think I'm a good shopper. You think I got a good friend from Walmart? I went to Food Line and got a wife. Amen. Now, buddy, I know how to shop. <laughs> Amen, I do. I don't even know if Joe and Cammy knew that. Yeah, I did. I was working at Food Line one, one uh, summer between high school, uh, between 11th and 12th grade, I guess it was. or No, it was actually after high school, before I started college. And uh, I was bagging groceries, and she was the cashier. Little did I know, I went to bag groceries for about two months and bagged a wife. Amen? 25 years. 24 and a half and two kids later. And about, what, 12 years in ministry now? No, 15 years in ministry. Great day, baby. We're getting old. And, uh, but anyway, um, I began thinking when I first met my wife. Think about when you first met your sweetheart, your spouse. You thought about them all the time. 
At, when you got home from school or you got home from work, you wanted to call them because we didn't have all that fancy text. At least not in my time, we didn't have all that fancy texting and stuff. You wanted to call them. And then on all along Thursday, you started making plans for the weekend. And, uh, and, and uh, then, you know, you finally start seeing each other on a, on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. And the next thing you know, you done gave her a going steady ring or a promise ring. And the next thing you know, you done gave her an engagement ring. And the next thing you know, you're married. And the next thing you know, you're starting a life together. You're not careful you're having kids. And, 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 and the next thing you know, you've bogged down with all of the other responsibilities of life. And you find yourself maybe not quite as passionate with your spouse as you once were. And that just seems like it's almost a natural progression of life. Sometimes it's the natural progression of the church. We've, have we lost our first love? So that's kind of, I guess, if you wanted a title to this little study today, is have we left our first love? And the Lord really burdened my heart with this chapter. John chapter number 6. John chapter 6, I'll give you a second to turn there. John chapter number 6. And we think, well, the church can't lose their passion, can you? Oh, sure you can. John chapter number 6 tells us even some of his disciples, his closest followers, kind of got distracted, right? And whatever comes in our lives that distracts us, it gets our mind, our focus, our attention off of Jesus Christ. The one who made it all possible. Because without Jesus, there is no regeneration. Without Jesus, there's no payment for sin. Without Jesus, there's no eternal life. There's no forgiveness. There's no nothing. He made it all possible. Amen? One of the, one of the greatest verses in all of scriptures, Romans 5, 8, for God demonstrated. We know, we know the word, King James says, commendeth his love towards us. But he demonstrated, commended. Love towards us, while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when you, when you first get saved, you first repent, you turn from your sin, you place your faith in Christ, man, it's a whole new beginning. For once in your life, you feel clean, you feel innocent. You literally, therefore, a short spell, feel perfect. You feel clean. I was able to lead uh, to the Lord uh, one of my uncles a uh, few years ago. And he had a really, really, really bad past. And his health was declining rapidly. And I went over to see him, I think it was one Wednesday afternoon, and shared the gospel with him. And, and he was under such conviction, he was sitting there just crying, but he never would give his heart to Christ. And that was one of the toughest times I've ever left to visit. And on my way to church that night, I began to leave, and I said, Lord, I've left, but I pray your spirit just stays there and works on him. I don't know what month that was, September, October, whatever. I remember Christmas Day, he rides to my dad's house. My dad was still alive at the time. And he rides to my dad's house. and He gets out, and we're standing on the front porch. And before he even makes it into the house, he says, I need that Jesus. And I stood on the front porch and led him in the sinner's prayer, but I believe, that, I believe he didn't give his heart to Christ before he made it on the front porch, amen. He didn't made up his mind. And man, I can't explain to you how bad his health was. I mean, just old farmer. I mean, just ruined his health, his back, his legs, his knees, his ankles. Man, could barely walk. I mean, just, just worked hard all his life. Killed himself in a sense. 
But I remember after he said the Sunday's prayer, literally he walked in the house like this. He said, I feel clean. And I, I mean, I never, and you know, God just called him home last year. And what a comfort that was to know. He was so passionate. We're so passionate when we get, first get saved. But as time goes on, we lose, we lose that passion. We lose that vigor. And so, I began reading uh, John chapter 6, and we're going to work our way through it. It is a long chapter, 71 verses. We won't cover all 71 tonight. But I want you to start in verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them which were diseased. Now, my goodness, I can go back and I can tell you a lot about what after these things are, but I know I won't have time this, this, this evening. But he had literally cast out demons. He had cured diseases. I mean, he had, he had actually, um, uh, I mean, just, just a few chapters earlier, he had uh, healed a man on, on the Sabbath day. Um, he had went, I mean, preached to a lady of Samaria, this uh, Samaritan woman. He had done, turned the water into wine. He had many miracles and and his fame was, was spread all over, and the great multitude followed him. But it says, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them with the disease. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was nigh. Amen. I think about the Easter. Easter is right around the corner. Amen. You know what Easter is? It's the Passover. Amen. The Passover there in, in the book of Exodus when, when the innocent spotless lamb is killed and the blood is applied to the doorpost and when the death angel flies over, he passes over in judgment on those who have the blood applied. And Easter, Jesus was our perfect sinless lamb who was slain for his blood to cover our lives. Amen? I love the, I love the Easter season. Well, that's what the Passover uh, was we see the feast of the Jews was nigh, and when Jesus and Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, said, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Now folks, this really jumped out to me and it's blessed my heart. But I began thinking about all the disciples. One of the greatest, one of the, one of the greater books that I've ever read was by John MacArthur entitled Twelve Ordinary Men. If you ever get a chance to read that, I'm sure Pastor Joe has, uh, how, how Jesus took the disciples. Twelve ordinary ragtag guys that most of us would have never have thought or chosen Jesus puts these guys together in, in really groups of three and he uses them. Well, some of these guys were quite quirky, like all of us. Amen. And here's Philip. Philip is, 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 we knew Philip in our day, we would call him a nerd. We would call him a geek. Because I believe Philip was a numbers type of guy. And y'all ever met somebody who just absolutely loves numbers? I mean, and, and, and hey, that's what accountants are. That's what, you know, uh, you know, people do, taxes and all that, and that's good. We need them, right? Well, Philip was that type of guy. Jesus comes, and if we read the story in, in its entirety, you will see there's some 
ten to 15,000 people there that day on that hillside. We know it says 5,000 men. We don't know how many of their wives came with them or how many children that may have came with them. So he's all these men, and Jesus literally asks Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? He said this, verse 6, to prove him, to test him. He says this to, to Philip to teach Philip a lesson, but not just Philip. I think it's all of us a lesson. Philip has already knew the finances they had in the treasury for Jesus and the disciples. He knew they had somewhere near 200 penny worth of bread. And he said, Lord, if we take all that we have, in a sense, now paraphrasing a little bit, if we take all that we have and we buy enough food, that, you know, we buy 200 penny worth of food, Lord, it's not, still not going to be enough for them to have much at all. And Jesus was testing him because here's what I think he showed me the other day. One thing that can draw us away and lose our passion is if we're not careful, the busyness, excuse me, the business of the church can make us forget the beauty of Christ. The business of the church. Now let me say this. A church has to be run with oversights, checks and balances. A church has to be run like a business, but it is not a business. Because if you're in business for yourself, what's the bottom line? That profit loss margin. You do everything you can to turn a profit. I like what Jerry Clower taught. Economics 101. You buy low and you sell high, and in between what you bought it and sold it for, it's called a profit. And profit's not a bad word. That's what Jerry's saying. You know, a business is looking at that bottom line as a profit. A church's bottom line is a soul. It is a person. It is a life. It's a gentleman. It's a lady. It's a young child, a young person, a senior adult. But sometimes I think about, uh, you know, you, you, get in, you get in a church environment, and, um, I mean, y'all have a, a nice, beautiful facility. We have a big facility, too. And one thing I can tell you about our place by the time we get one thing fixed, two more things break. I mean, our church is, we just celebrated 75 years uh, last year, last, last June. We'll celebrate 76 this June. Our building's got some age on it. We've got a gymnasium and a, a parsonage. It needs overhauling from top to bottom. You know, by the time you get one thing fixed, something else breaks. And, and if you're not careful, you'll start getting bogged down with the business side of a church. And... I know Pastor Joe and, and his dear secretary and all you know your, your deacons and trustees you know looking after the business of the church. You've got to do that, but don't ever let that cloud your real reason for ministry. And if you're not careful, the business of the church can make you forget the beauty of Christ, the same Christ you fell in love with when you met Him, the same Christ that redeemed you of your sin. So He's teaching this to Philip. Philip had seen some of the, the miracles that Jesus had done. But Jesus is trying to, to, to teach Philip something. And, and, and you know what he's kind of show, been showing me? Jesus says, I can do more for you than money ever could. Amen? I mean, sometimes as a church and sometimes in ministries, if God tells us to do something, 
What do we like to do? Well, we like to get on our phones and our calculator. We like to get our pen and paper and make it add up. If God's in it, it may not make sense on paper. But if God's in it, He's got a reason for it. He's going to provide for it. He's going to bless it. And He's going to accomplish something that we can never even imagine. Amen? Just got to trust God. But take care of the business, but don't let the business take priority. So I began thinking about this with, with, with Philip. And, and of course, here's, here's his, uh, one of his friends, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He said unto him, verse number 9, There's a lad here that hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Now Andrew had seen the miracles uh, that he did. He says, man, 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 let me just tell Jesus, here's what we do have. We do have some food on hand, and maybe he can bless it. And that's what happens. Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so that the men sat down in number of about 5,000. And again, no, no women or children mentioned here. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them which were set down, and likewise the fishes, as many as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. I've always wondered what the significance of the twelve was. Only thing I can think of is there's 12 disciples and owe them of little faith. If you just put your faith where it needs to be, hey, you get a basket all of yourself. That's the only thing I can come up with yet. God will show me later if I'm wrong. And I, I, Trust me, I've been wrong about a lot. But I know this. We can't get bogged down and let the business of the church make us forget the beauty of Christ. Keep our minds on Christ. Keep the the passion with Christ. Keep looking to Him and longing for Him. And He can, if, if you just give Him your little bit, we may not have but five loaves and two little fishes to offer Him, but look what He can do with it. Amen? And the next thing I see is, is we get to point number two. It starts off in verse number 12. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle which Jesus did, they said, this is of a truth that the prophet should come into the world. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again unto a mountain himself alone. Now we're going somewhere with this, but who wouldn't want to be a king? Right? I mean, we know, we know the time the Scripture was written, you know, the Romans had rule, Romans taxed the Jews to death, Romans had everything, and the people were looking for somebody to deliver them. And they were poor, and they were, they were famished, they didn't have a lot, and Jesus comes and He meets a, a physical need, and they want to meet Him, uh, they want to anoint Him immediately as, 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 as King. And so He literally departs and He goes into a mountain alone. But let's pick up in verse number 22. And the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, that Jesus went not with his disciples into a boat, that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came boats from Tiberias nigh to the place where they did eat bread 
after the Lord had given thanks. Now, I skipped verse 16 to verse number 22 just for time purposes, but y'all know the story. Jesus sends them over. They get about three or four uh, miles out into the sea. Jesus comes walking along to them, and immediately the ship is where, where, where it needed to be. You know, I've got a whole totally different message for a different day and different hour, but understand this. In, 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 when we're in the sea, which I believe is a picture of life, we're going to have storms. And sometimes those, those, those waves of those storms look like they're over top of our heads, but they're under Jesus' feet. Amen. Never forget He's going to be with you. But the next day they realize the boat that the disciples went is still not there, but the rest of them are. So they come seeking for Jesus. And it says here in verse 24, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither His disciples, they came also took shipping, and they came into Capernaum to seeking for Jesus. And when they had found Him on the other side of the sea, they said unto Him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus answered them and saying, Verily, verily, y'all know what that means, truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And he says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give, you, give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. <coughs> Excuse me. I began thinking about this, and how the people sought to make him king. And here when they find him, Jesus and his disciples once more <coughs> literally said, Jesus says, you're not seeking me for the right reasons. You're not coming to me with the right motives. <clears throat> You're not coming because of the miracles. You're becoming because I fed you spiritually. And I began thinking, what, what can sometimes cloud our minds in the church? And the Lord spoke to me and said, sometimes we lose our passion when we get to looking at the benefits of the church that cause us to miss the beauty of Christ. <clears throat> now let me explain this. I've said this many times, and in fact, I've got a, a, um, a, a, a brother who actually won't speak to me much anymore um, until he needs something. Uh, you know, we all have those in our family. And I love my brother, but uh, he got mad at me because he was watching an online service one day when I told our church, I said, many, I am closer to many of you in my church than I am to my own biological family. And churches are supposed to have that feel of a family. Amen? And you think about church and church for, for I know for me and probably my family, that's our, that's our greatest time, the fellowship. And fellowship is good and, and family is good, but there's some folks who, who start making church their all in all and they lose sight of the reason we're in church. Now we go to church, now this might sound crazy, but just stick with me for a second. We go to church to have our faith built. Amen. That's what we're supposed to do. Pastor Joe was preaching this morning, man. I enjoyed his Sunday school. I didn't want him to stop. I, I honestly thought, I thought he said we was going to get the rest of that chapter in 1 Thessalonians 4. He got the two verses. He said the rest of that section. I just want to hear the rest of it. That's good preaching. You come to church to hear preaching. That's the right reason. Thus saith the word of God. Revival spurns the word, the worship, and the work of God. Amen? I like that. And, but we come sometimes to church, and we come, if we're not careful, just to see brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. 
one of the problems, and I don't know what it's like in Hillsville because I'm just a visitor. I'm just a passing through. And I've enjoyed our stay. Man, I tell you what, sliders last night, man. I, we rode by that, and I said, that looks like my kind of place to eat right there. That looks like it'd have a greasy cheeseburger, and they did, and it was good. It was good. I saw Aunt B's barbecue when we come up there a couple falls ago. I said, that place looks like it'd be pretty good. That's what we had the night before church. It was good. But I don't know what it's like here in Hillsville, but we have a lot of churches down there in Danville, which is known the city of churches. I don't know if you have ever heard that, but that's what Danville's known of, the city of churches. 300 churches. Most of those churches in Danville are clubs. They're not churches. I mean, we have breweries and a casino and everything else coming to Danville. I think that we've dropped the ball somewhere along the lines. But we have people coming to church for, for help financially. And who doesn't need help from time to time? But when you come and make church the substitute for the Christ, you've put the wrong people on the wrong platform, and sooner or later those people are going to let you down. You know why? Because I could probably tell you a dozen people at our own church is not happy with me right now. Because I've had to make some tough calls, some tough decisions, some things the Lord I feel is leading our church into. And not everybody likes change. I understand that. But if you worship Pastor Joe, the first time Pastor Joe makes a decision that you don't like, Satan's going to whisper, well, there's a nice big pretty church right over the hill right there. And the first time your Sunday school teacher tells you that your doctrine that you heard from the time you were a child to an adult was not doctrinally sound, but there's a truth, and they're trying to get you to understand what the truth really is. Because I've noticed a lot of traditions are traditions that don't have nothing to do with truth. I've heard all my life, and this is, this is okay, I'm going to run a rabbit trail. My son told me not to run too many because he's got to get up and go to work in the morning. But... Uh, how many has ever heard at the end of times you will not be able to tell the seasons apart? I heard that all my life. It might be some truth too. You can't tell the seasons apart because I don't know if I've ever had an 80 degree day in February. I'm okay with that as long as the Lord gives us some 60 degree days in July. Amen. <laughs> but that's not doctrine. It's not where in the Bible. If it is, I hadn't seen it. And if you know it, please let me know because I'm just curious. But I don't think I've seen it. Okay. So, but your Sunday school teacher says something you don't like, Satan will say, well, you know, there's another church down the road. Do you really have to go to church? I mean, folks, we're, we're such shallow people. When I say we, right here, putting myself first and foremost, when we put other people up or we put the fun I mean, we, we, we've got a gymnasium just like y'all do. By the way, I, like, I told Joe, I like y'all's basketball goal a lot better than ours at church. I can hit back here at this one. I can't hit our basketball goal if I'm standing on a ladder. I don't know what the difference is. Maybe y'all's is bigger. Maybe the balls are smaller. But if I ever play a pickup game, I'm coming here, brother. But, um, you know, we like to have fun there at Riverview. We like to have a church is supposed to be inviting. You're supposed to have love and fellowship. But it cannot take the place of Christ because He will never let you down. And if you look at us or if you look at your brother and sister in Christ, they may let you down because you don't know what they're going through. I went into the prayer room 
just a little while ago, and, and Brother J.L. had his shoe off. talking about a problem he's having with his foot. You know, if, 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 if someone had come up to Brother J.L. one day and said something and he was really short with them, bless God, man, the guy who leads the music got short with me. Well, I'm not going to Victory Way anymore. They don't understand the poor guy's foot's giving him a fit. I mean, I say all this, we cannot look at the church and the benefits of the church. I mean, God bless them. Every church I've ever been a part of, you got some people who just show up when they're having food that day. Maybe that's a Baptist thing. I don't know. We all like to eat. I mean, I, I hadn't missed no meals. I mean, there's some people literally, honestly, I never see them in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visitation, Bible school. I don't see them ever. But let something go wrong and my phone will light up like a Christmas tree. If you're not careful, you're seeking the wrong things when you should be seeking Jesus Christ. Man, our church is in desperate need of revival. I think every church in the world is desperate for need of revival. Because look, what, look what's going on in the world today. You can't turn on the news. I don't turn on the news anymore. Pastor Joe said he's not a conspiracy theorist. I honestly was never a conspiracy theorist. I was just foolish and trusted everything until about, oh, three years ago. Okay? Yeah, look at what's coming down the pipe and all this, and we need revival because we're not careful. Even those distractions that come into our life will keep us from trusting Christ and falling in love and remembering His beautiful, His beauty and His, his what He's done for us. And So we can't let the business of the church or the, or the benefits of the church make us miss the beauty of Christ. And that's what they were doing. They were coming because He had met their physical need. But what He wanted to do was meet their spiritual need. They needed Him. Amen? The third thing Jesus spoke, and they said unto Him, well, let me, let me go back and read verse 27 again. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? So he's got their attention. And they say, Okay, if we're seeking you for the wrong reasons, uh, what, what do we need to do? What shall we do? What is there work to do? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom they had sent. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 tells me their heart's still not in the right place. They said therefore unto Him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? <laughs> Jesus had just fed ten to 15 to 20,000 people. And Jesus says, the only work you need to do is believe on me and that the Father has sent me. You know what they said? Well, show us a sign. <laughs> they want to see what they could get out of him, not what he can give into them. Amen? Or oh me. They said, look in verse 31, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We all know that. Hey, children of Israel, I'm, you know, I'll be finishing up in the next few weeks of life on the study of Joseph. And my, oh, my, have I enjoyed that in the Old Testament. If you've, there's two books of the Bible. If you don't believe that we serve a sovereign God, I challenge you to read the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis 
And then you go read the book of Ruth, and you can even throw the book of Esther in there too. There is no such thing as luck. I don't care if a black cat runs out in front of you. I don't care if I accidentally break a mirror. If I walk under a hundred ladders, I believe in a providential, sovereign God who's working everything for our good, but yet for His glory. Amen? And so, literally, they're still asking for a sign. And, you know, that's the, they, they ate, God gave them uh, 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 manna and, and quail from heaven. And they go back to Genesis and they say, Look, our fathers did eat, eat, eat manna uh, in the desert. Uh, and He gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus, verse 32, said unto them, Verily, verily, I truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread which from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I mean, these people should have, in the Jews, they missed the forest for the trees. They should have known that Jesus was the Messiah sent from God. And Jesus is here preaching and, 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 and curing diseases and death and demons. And yet they're still asking for more. They want a sign from God. And Jesus says, look, God sent me. I am that bread that came from heaven. But I want you to see verse number number 41. Let's skip down a few verses for time's sake. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which cometh down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I come down from heaven? You know, folks, this is my third point the Lord just gave me yesterday morning. We lose our passion from Christ sometimes when we let the blindness of our culture make us miss the beauty of Christ. And let me explain. Jesus here is pouring His heart out to these people. They had seen Him feed thousands of people. They're still asking Him for signs. They have the gall and the gumption to go back to talk about what God sent them from heaven through Moses. Moses had nothing to do with it. He was just a leader. He was just a human instrument. They were God's people. And Jesus says, I am he who come down from heaven. And they sit over there like a bunch of knots on the logs, murmuring and arguing amongst themselves and going, how is he from heaven? We know his mom and dad. I mean, he's the son of Joseph and his mother. And, and, and here's the thing. Some folks do not get it. And some folks, here's the sad part, saddest part of ministry that I've had to learn. Some folks won't get it. They won't get it. You can preach and teach until you're blue in the face. And they would never accept the truth. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it gets discouraging. If you've ever taught Sunday school, if you've ever pastored, you've ever done missions work, if you just ever went out soul winning from door to door, my brother was talking, uh, my brother in the red skin shirt, 
bless God, man, I, I, I feel for you, buddy. <laughs> I, I pulled for them for years. But he was talking about going out witnessing the other day and sharing the gospel with a group of people who literally all but, from what I understand, told you this, parts of this are God's word and parts of it's true, but parts of it isn't. That's when he was full to grab them by the, the nap of the neck and shake them and go, man, here's the answer. This is everything you need. Jesus Christ is everything you need. And they're going to cross their arms just like these, these people here that heard Jesus. And they're going to say, man, I don't even believe he created everything. I believe in that Big Bang Theory. You know, and, and honestly, the blindness of our culture, it can get discouraging because you think, is it worth it? Let's be honest, guys and ladies. You study, you, you, you pray, you, you reach out. And, and you know, I, I love the banners here. I, I, I don't think they were here in the fall when we got here. And the worship of God, the discipleship of each other, the fellowship with the other, each other, then it turns into outreach. And that's the way it goes. And that's where it begins. Okay, that's the beginning part. The discipleship's the growing part, the maturing part, the sanctifying part. It spreads to fellowship part. And in some ways, these are, I ain't going to say easy, <laughs> they're just, they're, they all have their battles, but you want to get to that last one, that outreach, that's when the battle really begins. Because you're starting to play with Satan's soldiers then. And he don't want to lose any of his soldiers. That's when the battle begins. And so sometimes, uh, you look at the blindness of our culture. You know, I did everything I could do to, to preach the gospel and make radio broadcasts and everything to keep that stinking casino out of Danville. My associate, I think he's watching tonight, Pastor John, he feels the same way. We've done everything we can do to help people understand casinos are not good. That's not how God blesses. God blesses labor. Pastor Joe talked about that this morning, I believe. God blesses labor. For every one person who wins, you've got 100 people or more who lose. That's not how God does uh, arithmetic, folks. You see the blindness of the culture, and it gets old. And, and here, here Jesus was just, was just preaching his heart out to these people, and, and yet they, just, they simply don't get it. And it's easy to get up, give up. If we're not careful, we'll say, is it worth it? Is it worth still coming to church on Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday nights? And if y'all get to have it, because, I mean, we're battling that same struggle too. Um, is it worth Sunday nights? Is it worth all it? Sure, it's worth it. It's worth it for you personally. And oh my goodness, it's worth it, worth it for your family. Amen? I look at our youth today. I look at our young people today and my heart breaks. My heart breaks, absolutely breaks for what our young people are going to have to face. And I look at our young people today, and I don't blame them, I blame mom and dad, that these kids don't have a clue of what Jesus should mean to them. Amen. And sometimes the blindness of our culture should make us give up. And our last point, it's a rather long point, and I'm going to try to make it clear, because this is kind of difficult, but... The last point we see, don't let the, the, the first three really quick. Well, let's skip over the review. Let's go to point four, verse 43. Therefore, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. I like this too. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. 
and I will raise him up at that last day. Folks, I have to go to this verse quite often, and I have to share with our church quite often. You can't save anybody. The Lord Jesus Christ bought the plan. The Father wrought it, the Son bought it, and the Spirit taught it. (laughs) He's teaching it. Unless the Holy Spirit does a work in that person's heart, you can talk until you're blue in the face. You can make them your convert, but they're still headed to hell. I've seen it done. Oh, I've seen it done many a times in the, in, in, in the culture that I grew up in. Practically beat people over the head with the gospel, make them pray a prayer. Folks, it ain't that simple prayer that saves them. It's the, it's the attitude of the mind and the heart that repents, that sees their sin and feels their shame and their guilt and, and they want to turn loose of that. Repentance. There can never be salvation without repentance first. And I tell our church all the time, repentance is not being sorry that you got caught. Bless God, I thank the Lord for His grace and His mercy because I could probably get a speeding ticket every day of my life. I'm going to have to take it easy down this hill tonight because I've been warned deer like to run across the road. <laughs> But if I got pulled over, just the foolish nature of me is, I'm sorry, officer. No, ultimately, I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance is sorry if you never even got caught. Amen? So you repent and you place your faith, but the Spirit has to draw him first. Amen? It is written in the prophets, let's go on to verse 45, and it shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, he cometh unto me, not that any man hath seen the Father, Save or except he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. For I am that bread of life. So he doubles down. They're still looking for God to send them something. He's trying to double down and say, I am who God has sent. He said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If many, any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now folks, here, here I know how the human mind works. A lot of times when I read this, I keep, I keep reading this and if you, if you, if you want to, if you want to, let's, let's just jump down really quick, verse 52, 53, and I'll work my way back. Jesus therefore strove, excuse me, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, ye have no life in you. He, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And we can go on, we could go on about this eating flesh and drinking blood. And a lot of people would say, well, he's talking about communion. Well, no, the communion, the ordinance of communion hadn't been given yet. This does not teach cannibalism. It doesn't teach the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiationalism. That's a big fancy theological word, isn't it? I'm surprised I remember that. But, you know, he's not talking about that. Let's go back to 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. The bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's talking about giving of himself. 
He's not talking about, he's, and, they're, and they're just like the human mind. How can he eat somebody's flesh and drink of their blood? But Jesus is talking about the sacrifice of himself that he is going to give for them. But look at verse 66. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now here's my dyslexia kick name. He walked no more with him. The disciples, now when you say the word disciple, our human mind automatically goes to the twelve, right? They were the twelve called, chosen by Christ. But there were hundreds and hundreds of disciples. The word disciple simply means a follower. You know, Brother Hicks, I, I heard of your um, um, accepting God's call on your life, the, the ministry. I think Pastor Joe is talking about somebody else. The Lord has laid on her heart to be a minister. You know, hey, you got a great pastor to, to kind of help tutor you. And some people would say, well, they may be Pastor Joe's disciples. But ultimately, and I understand that. I understand why people say that. Ultimately, you're Christ's disciples. But a disciple just means a follower. Well, these were followers of Christ. They were with Christ. They heard the words of Christ. Now, we know Christ spoke sometimes in, in not so clear terms because he wanted the people to seek him on a much deeper level than just the, the surface. Because, you know, everybody's cool, everybody's cool, you know, with baby Jesus. Even the world's cool with baby Jesus. He's a little kid that was born in the manger that gave us the holiday where we can get presents, right? And they're kind of okay with even Easter. But you get to talk about the coming of Jesus Christ as king. They'll tune you out in a second. Everybody just wants that surface knowledge of Jesus. Jesus wanted people to have a deep knowledge of him. And he speaks to them in this parable. I am the bread. I'm sent down from heaven. You must, the, what I give, he's talking about giving himself, giving his flesh and his blood. He gave his, he gave his flesh when, when he allowed those Romans to, to, to beat him with, you know, and, and studies will show you most, most people that Romans tortured died before they even made it to the cross. The Romans were just cruel, man. They knew how to inflict pain within an inch of your life. He gave his body. He shed his blood. And here's the thing. They were with Christ. I believe this. Now this just might be my opinion. But I believe if they had kept following Christ, Christ wanted to take them to a deeper knowledge of Him. But yet, they allowed the busyness of their lives to miss the beauty of Christ. They didn't understand some things and they began thinking of everything else they may have had to do in their little world, in their culture. And maybe because Christ told them something that they didn't quite understand, they quit seeking Christ and went back to doing the things that they always did. I think of Simon Peter. We know Simon Peter. He denied Jesus, right? And after Jesus' uh, crucifixion, what did he say? I'm going, back to, I'm going back to fishing. And I believe it says so, so many of his disciples, many, 
many went back and followed him no more. They could have seen the beauties of Christ, but they went back into the busyness of their culture. Now, dear friends, can I, can I help say you this? I think this is the number one thing that makes churches kind of forget the beauty of Christ, is we're busy. We're busy doing, we're busy going, we're busy, busy planning and plotting and trying to figure out how things go. And, and that's good. We need some of that. Y'all had a vacation Bible school meeting this morning. And we're doing the same thing, trying to get all our ducks in a row. It'll be here before you know it. But sometimes we we got to realize we can't be so busy, we miss the beauty of Christ. I think about, and I'll, I'll share this and we'll be done. I think about in Luke chapter number 10. Y'all know the story of Mary and Martha. And you know, Mary was, Mary was, uh, Martha was the busy one. She was busy, now I don't know for sure, but I would, let's just say she was busy cooking and cleaning and doing all the things she needed to do because they had Jesus there as a guest. And literally she, she gets so caught up that she goes to Jesus and said, Lord, would you tell Mary to come help? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about all these, but Mary has chosen the best part. She simply chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to Him and worship Him. Dear friends, I think sometimes my, my, my better messages that I preach is the ones that the Lord has spoken to me about. Because as a pastor, sometimes I think I could fall in any of these four categories. Pretty doggone sure that if I hadn't fall. I sure could, but reality, I probably have fallen into all of these. Dear friends, what brings revival? Revival is not a great awakening. Those who are dead need the gospel so they can come to life. Regeneration, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by the regeneration, the washing of the word. Amen, Titus 3, 5. Regeneration, to be born from the inside out. That's what they need, but for us as revival... We just need to get back and fall in love with Jesus Christ. The one, the perfect one who traded heaven's fame for an earthly frame. The ones who laid aside his divine attributes to take upon flesh as a human, to be in all points tempted as we are without sin, and for be the one who uh, experienced everything that we did, And then, on top of it all, he laid down his life. The Romans did not take it, friend. He laid it down. Ever thought about this? I thought about this a few years ago. He said, he prayed, Unto the Father I commend my spirit. Jesus even gave up the spirit. Why? He would have not died. The soul, the Bible tells us, the soul that sinneth will surely die. Jesus never sinned. He gave His life for us. And He gave the Holy Spirit for us. He gave the Holy Scriptures for us. He gave us people and preachers and teachers and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas to teach us the Word. And folks, I can't take credit for my family being right with Christ. It's all Him. 
we can't take credit for anything we've done or anything that He's going to do. It's all Jesus. The first night of revival, I knows the opening night. And here's what I would just want to challenge you as they come to get ready for an invitation this, this evening. I ask you to pray this evening. I don't know how Pastor Joe does it, Brother, Brother J.L. This is, this is his church, his pulpit. This is how I would ask my church to do. you got three nights of revival. The first night's over. We'll shake hands and head over the mountain here in a little bit. I ask you during this invitation time, whether you're sitting in the pew right now, because God can hear you in the pew, or you come up around this old-fashioned altar, and you say, God, help me not be worried about business, Help me not be worried about the busyness and all the things I've got to do. Help me not be worried about my frustration with those who rejected you. Help me set aside everything and remember what all you've done for me. And help me love you like I used to. Amen? That's what I ask you to do this evening. Pastor Joe. Jail, get ready to come. We'll have a time of invitation tonight. Is there something that is keeping you from following the Lord like you once did? Is there something that's kind of taken you out of the, the flame that you once had and left you a little cold, a little indifferent? Is there anything that's keeping you from where you used to be, where you ought to be tonight? Right now, you know the need. And as the piano plays and jail, we're going to stand to our feet. Let's all stand this evening. This altar's open. Tonight, if there's something that's keeping you from following Christ as you once did, would you come, give it to the Lord. Let Him take it. Let Him break that barrier between you. Number 490. 490. Lord, I'm coming home.